0: It was challenging, and yet, even in that challenge, uh, I thought, wow, I can't wait to teach this. This is going to be, you know, I I make little marks in my commentaries, and when I know I want to teach something, uh, I put a big T next to that passage. Uh, There are T's all over my commentaries. (laughs) It's just filled with T's. So all all of you are going, oh, no. I have a dear friend, and she said it in love. She said that we should have named it God Speaks, and so does Amy. (laughs) Oh, those of you who are new might want to go sign up for the Exodus 1 or whatever that is down the hall. Um, But I'm so blessed and I'm so humbled to have all of you here uh, to walk through Hebrews with me. um, I'm, I'm just excited to have you on this journey through the scripture. I always begin by introducing me, and those of you who have been here for years and years now can just take a nap, uh, or you could come up here and do it, but uh, there are new people here that have never been in one of my studies before, and I want to make sure that you know who I am. I'm Amy, and I have been married to Jeff. Oh, that's really pretty. I like that. It's just like simple and there. i married to Jeff for 26 years. It's a picture of us last year at a concert with our daughter Katie, look at that good-looking guy. Isn't he cute? Yeah, so I've been married for 26 years, which means, of course, I was a child bride uh, because that's a long time to be married. It's gone so quickly. I get more excited and more feel more blessed every year that God chose for me this wonderful, godly, gentle man to walk through life with. Speaking of our kids, Katie, I'll talk about in a minute, But uh, here are three kids. The oldest is Josh, who's there. He's 22. He's working two jobs and taking some sort of calculus class and mostly hunting and hunting and hunting. He's in love with hunting. Now, he looks very innocent in this picture, doesn't he? Yeah. Hairy, but innocent. Yeah, just what a sweet little boy that is. I got to tell you, this boy is what my father would have called a little Dickens. Uh, and if you don't believe that, I brought some pictorial evidence of that. This was the Christmas card photo shoot, and there's innocent Josh, and then he decided to kiss his sister, which, you know, yeah, see that? Aw, that's that's kind of sweet, isn't it? His brother wasn't as thrilled <laughs> when he decided to kiss him. And apparently Josh was just in such need of kissing anybody that he also kissed his cousin Christian. <laughs> Uh, But he did not feel the need to kiss the Thanksgiving turkey. With the Thanksgiving turkey, he reverted to hunter mode. And there he is with a knife getting, (laughs) the knife is up here. I don't know if you can see that, but he's getting ready to destroy uh, the Thanksgiving turkey. So as I said, he is a little Dickens. Uh, And our 17-year-old daughter is Katie, and uh, there in our picture. And she is a junior at Bellevue West and loves to sing and to dance. In fact, she'll be in Guys and Dolls in March. Very excited to to watch her in that. Um, And she is starting the whole college search thing. Thus far, we've been to Nashville. She would like to visit a school in Los Angeles and one in southern Michigan. And I'm thinking, can we find anything closer to home than these schools? And I I don't know. You all are going to have to pray for me. She's a junior. uh, But I'm going to have trouble letting that little girl go. Uh, especially if she wants to go to L.A. Uh, but she's, uh, she's uh, just a really ray, ray of sunshine in our lives. And our youngest is Lane. He's 13, and this is his first year of school. Now, that might sound weird to some of you because <laughs> he's in seventh grade, but I homeschooled him. actually homeschooled all of them. Uh, and I homeschooled him through sixth grade, and he's now at Cornerstone Christian School as a seventh grader and uh, loving that, doing very well. His basketball team is undefeated, and so he's excited about that. And uh, then finally, the final member that I cannot forget of our family is, um, coming up here, yeah. Barkley the Wonder Sheep Who, who's uh, just every bit as adorable, although right now he's stinky, he needs to be groomed. Um, to uh, The Wonder Sheep who is a last addition to our family. Well, uh, before I tell you my qualifications, I'll put up this picture. Of, of me sort of with my three sisters we're going in order of age because that's what we do uh, that's how we roll the four of us this is at Thanksgiving and this is pretty typical of the four of us we uh, have a great time when we're together and I, I always want to tell make sure you guys know what my qualifications are to do this because they're really uh, very impressive I have two qualifications they are this I love God's word and I love to teach and that's it. I do happen to have a bachelor's degree in social studies education and physical education from St. Olaf College, but that doesn't have much to do with teaching uh, the Bible. I love God's Word, and I love to teach, and that's why I'm here. Now the the Bible study, just to introduce you to the format a little bit, each week you'll be doing five days worth of questions if you got the intro questions, it's kind of like that, just longer, um, uh, with five days every week, and you you can spread those out over five days. That's not required. I'm not going to come to your house and find out if you do it all on Monday night. (laughs) Or if you spread it out, it works best if it's over five days. Uh, And it should take about 20 minutes a day. It may be a little bit longer than that. Hebrews is pretty in-depth. And uh, so some of the weeks are just a little bit longer. But I I try to keep them fairly even. If you didn't get to the study uh, during the week, if you didn't finish the study during the week, please come. Don't feel like, oh, well... I can't go because I didn't get the study done, and they'll all look, no, nobody will look at you funny, nobody will tell you you can't talk in small group because you didn't get the study done, Uh, we want to have you here. I firmly believe that the way you get the most out of the study is to do the study at home, over five days, and (laughs) and then to come here, but really, you'll get, Something out of it by being just by being in your small group and learning from them, and then by coming to the lecture. So please still come even if uh, you didn't have an opportunity to finish the lesson. There are three types of questions in uh, in the study. Most of them are just regular questions with a number, uh, but and some of those are pretty easy. But then there's a type of question called a thought provoker question, which I always say is a question that is intended to provoke thought. Uh, it is a question that you're going to have to kind of go hmm. It's not obvious, and and you may need to leave it blank. I sometimes do that, and I wrote the question, so you know, <laughs> uh, it it happens. And then I read the materials that I study, and I went, oh yeah, 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 that's what I was getting at. Uh, and then a third type of question is a challenge question, and that question is one where you may need to go to outside materials. You may need to go. Um, to, uh, I don't know, a Bible dictionary or some sort of help, study help in your Bible to find out the answer to that. That too you may need to leave blank. Also at the beginning of every lesson is a memory verse. And I would like you to, to, I would like to encourage you, I would like to exhort you, a word you'll be hearing a lot of in Hebrews, to memorize those verses. I've always tried to do that gently. But here's something that I realized as I was preparing for this lecture. If y'all can memorize every one of your passwords for the computer and every word of the lyrics that come on the radio, you can memorize scripture. Uh, If you can memorize your kids' names. Okay, that's hard for me sometimes. Josh, Kate, Barclay, whichever one you are, come here. No, you can memorize scripture. Uh, If you just read through that scripture, that verse, every day before you start your study and you do it over five days. I'm really giving Linda Stewart a hard time right now. I hope you know that. Uh, she, she, nobody, I'm not bugging anybody else. I know, I know. She used to help my mom do her study. And she would come over one day, and they'd do it all together in one day. Monday. Yeah, Monday, Monday. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just giving her a hard time. Uh, but, if you, but if you do it over five days, and you just read through it. Just read through it a couple of times. Um, at the beginning and the end of that study. You'll be surprised how quickly you'll learn that verse. Uh, so try, try it. Give it a try. See what happens. Um, then I, I want to let you know a little bit um, about uh, my approach to this study. Um, and, and that is, I'm a simple gal, and it's my same approach for every study. Here's what I want to know as, as I look at God's Word. I want to know what does it say, what does it mean, and how can I apply it to my life? Uh, we can't live what we don't know. And so in order to, to live out God's word, we have to understand, uh, we have to know what it says, and we have to understand what it says. But truly, the most important thing with God's word is that it be lived out in our lives. So we, we, uh, we uh, know it, we understand it, in order that it might be lived out in our lives. That's God's word applied to our lives, and it's my deepest and most sincere prayer that that would be true for all of us as we go through Hebrews this semester. Now, let's talk about Hebrews. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews has something of a reputation, and, and that reputation is that it's a difficult and intimidating book. I got interesting reactions when people say, "Hey, what are you teaching next semester?" And I'd say, "Hebrews," and they'd go, "Wow, really?" wow my husband says wow a lot and he has a good wow and he has a bad wow and they really sound almost identical so if he's eating dinner and he says wow it's like okay is that a good wow or I ask him this all the time was that a good wow or was that a bad wow okay this wow for Hebrews was not a good wow people are like wow really in fact a very good longtime friend of mine who is also a Bible teacher said boy I'm not brave enough to teach Hebrews and he has taught revelation countless times uh, and he he said he wouldn't teach Hebrews that scared that one scared me I was like really because I'm like three-quarters of the way through writing this and now you tell me Um, but here's the deal about Hebrews Hebrews was originally written to some immature Christians uh, who were tempted to ditch Christianity for something else usually or, or most for most of them to go back to Judaism Uh, And so the author of Hebrews wrote this letter to help mature them in the understanding of their faith and of God and of Christ so that they might glorify God with their lives. That doesn't sound intimidating to me. That sounds like something I need to hear. That sounds like something every believer needs to hear. So let's find out a little something about this book. First, the setting of Hebrews. The recipients of the book of Hebrews were probably mostly Jewish Christians. Um, And uh, this this fact is deduced for for a number of reasons or or from a number of things. First of all, in Hebrews, as you are about to find out right away, the author assumes that his readers have an understanding of the Old Testament. Hebrews, uh, you'll also find this out in the study, more than any other book in the New Testament, quotes the Old Testament. There are more Old Testament quotes in Hebrews than there are in any other uh, New Testament book. So he assumes that his readers have an understanding of the Old Testament. Um, Secondly, the author uses a number of theological concepts and... um, and ideas that were popular in the Greek-speaking synagogues of that time, so the ones that were kind of outside Palestine, in the synagogues away from Palestine. He uses um, methods of teaching that were popular in those synagogues, a, a method of teaching that Jewish Christians would understand, that would Jewish Christians would relate to. Um, thirdly, the underlying assumption based on the argument of Hebrews, is that some of these people were tempted to walk away from their faith and return to Judaism, which is why he spends a great deal of time discussing why Jesus is better than um, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices of Judaism. Now, that is true, that that, um, most of his readers most of his early list, first listeners would have been Jewish Christians however in any church of that time there were also gentiles gentile believers and so this letter would have been uh, heard by originally gentile believers as well uh, the letter originally was sent probably to Rome uh, to Roman believers and and we know this because at the end of Uh, Hebrews he sends greetings he says those who are from Italy greet you and and probably the only reason he would do that is if he was sending the letter to Italy so that these people that come from where you are send their greetings to you and and Rome had a large some say possibly as many as 60,000 Jews in um, in Rome at this time uh, so this would have been sent to the churches at Rome. There would, would have been a number of house churches at this time, because this is still during the Roman Empire meeting in Rome. So what was the purpose of Hebrews? Why was it written? Well, first of all, it was written to discouraged believers. Why were they discouraged? They were discouraged because they were facing persecution. Uh, they had not yet faced And and the writer of Hebrews is going to say this. They had not yet faced martyrdom for their faith. But certainly they faced public humiliation, um, public ridicule, hardship, uh, difficulties with with jobs and other things because of their faith. Uh, Secondly, he wrote Hebrews because some were beginning to drift or were at least tempted to drift away from the faith. Uh, And so there are really two main reasons the author of Hebrews wrote his letter. The first was scriptural exposition. So that's the word I have on the top there, exposition. And exposition is just the explaining of scripture, the explaining of God's word. And so he wrote Hebrews to explain to these beleaguered Jewish Christians and other members of the church in Rome from scripture, from Old Testament scripture, how and why it is that Jesus is better than anything and everything that came before him, including Judaism. He also wrote Hebrews to bolster their faith and to use scripture to do that. He bolstered their faith with the truth of scripture. So exposition, I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute when I talk about the structure of Hebrews. And then the second part of Hebrews is exhortation. Exhortation is, is a kind of a fancy word for encouragement, but it means more than that, and I'll talk about that in a minute too. It's, it's an encouragement that's intended to motivate someone. So he wrote Hebrews in order to exhort these beleaguered uh, believers in Rome. He exhorted them to persevere. He exhorted them to draw near to God. He exhorted them to fix their eyes on Jesus. He exhorted them to fix their minds on Jesus. He exhorted them to keep heaven in mind, to keep the end in mind as they uh, walked through this life. He exhorted them to live in a manner worthy of God and honoring to God. So all of this and more is, is part of the exhortation of Hebrews. In short, As Dr. George Guthrie says, he says, this is our author's challenge, to encourage a group of discouraged believers drifting from real Christianity by bolstering their commitment to draw near to God and endure in their commitment to Christ. So that is the reason, that is the purpose for the writing of Hebrews. So when was it written? What is the date? Well, there are a number of things that we can figure out, we can narrow down, Uh, that date by a number of things, mostly from inside Hebrews itself. That's called internal evidence. Evidence that comes from the letter to the Hebrews itself. And, And there are three things that narrow down this date. The first thing is that we know that this group of Christians in Rome have been believers for a while. They are not new Christians in terms of time. We know that because in Hebrews 5 he lovingly confronts them and says, "You guys should be more mature by now. You should be eating solid food. You should be mature, and yet you're still drinking milk. You are still spiritual babies, even after so long." Reading that reminded me of a time when Josh was very little, And you know that, um, that sort of play area in the basement of Westroads. Anybody ever been to that little pit? there yeah Uh, and so i took josh down there because he loved those places he loved especially loved anything still does that involved the throwing of a ball and so they had all those little kiddie games down there where he could throw the balls to his heart's content well, there was one particular one that he really wanted to play where you threw these little balls into the mouth of this big, fat woman. And, uh, and he just really wanted to play it, but he couldn't. Do you know why he couldn't? Because there was a grown man playing that game. And, and it's like from here to Kathy, right, is as far as... That, and that was a long way for a four-year-old, right? But for this grown man who was stepping over like this, and he was just, you know, right in front of it trying to get his... He didn't have any kids with him. He just wanted the tickets for himself so he could go get some... He was a grown man. I just wanted to say, dude, grow up. Well, that's what the guy, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, dudes, grow up. You've been a Christian a long time. You shouldn't still be eating baby food, spiritual baby food. So we know that this, this wasn't written to Rome shortly after the founding of the church because they'd been Christians for a while. Secondly, we know that they had faced persecution at some point in the past. In uh, the 10th chapter, he talks about this. He actually encourages them and saying, you remember that thing that you faced back then? You walked through that. God was faithful to you through that. Remember how he was faithful and how you persevered through that. Well, how, he, how the author explains these things, you notice I'm not using his name. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I'll never use his name in this study. Um, so, because we don't know, uh, so he he uh, the, what he how he explains that in Hebrews fits very well with an event that occurred in A.D. 49, when the Roman Emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome, all of them. We read in Acts that among those were Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were Christians, but Jewish Christians were considered considered Jews at that time. Christianity was just a sect of, considered a sect, not officially, of Judaism. So all Jews, whether they were Jews or Jewish Christians, were expelled from Rome in A.D. 49. Uh, And and the the sort of explanation of that time of persecution fits well with that event. So we would then deduce from that that this was written after, Hebrews was written after that, so after A.D. 49. The author of Hebrews also tells us that their persecution had not yet reached the level of martyrdom. It would, and it did, but at the time of the writing of Hebrews, it had not yet uh, reached that level. During Nero's reign, that came to to pass. In fact, it was shortly after the famous fire. Remember Rome burned while Nero fiddled, or Nero fiddled while Rome burned? Um, shortly after that, which was in AD 64, he began his uh, nef- nefarious program on Christians and burning them at the stake and all those things. So, um, so that would then lead us to narrow this down after AD 49 and before AD 65. And, and most scholars would say sometime between... AD 60 and AD 65 so in the early to mid 60s original 60s not like when I was born uh, uh, that this letter to the Hebrews was written so what is it what is Hebrews because it's entitled the letter to the Hebrews but here's the problem you know how in Paul's letter the first word is usually Paul yeah so, oh, yeah, it's obvious, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he says, to who it's to, and greetings. Not there. None of it. It starts out in the past. God spoke uh, through his prophets. That's, that's it. It just, start, it just digs right in to the theology. So he doesn't tell us who he is, and this is a letter, but it doesn't start like a letter. But it ends like a letter. At the end, he sends greetings. He gives kind of final uh, greetings to the people and sends greetings from people and asks people to be greeted, just like the other letters of the New Testament. So it's very different. From the beginning of Hebrews to the time he sends those greetings, it reads like a sermon, not like a letter, but like a sermon. And most theologians believe that it actually was a sermon. It began as a sermon. It was a sermon that whoever wrote it preached. And then people were like, dude, that was so good. You ought to write that down. And so he wrote it down to send to the Romans, the Roman church, and he added those greetings at the end. That's what most theologians believe. We can't know that for sure. But it does read very much like a sermon. Um, In fact, the author himself calls what he has written a word or message of encouragement, and that actually was a term for a sermon back in that time. And I I really think it's helpful as we go through this to keep that in mind. I I almost envisioned as I went through it uh, the different parts of this sermon being preached. So the $64,000 question is, for those of you who remember that game, who wrote Hebrews? One of the theologians I read did his dissertation, his PhD dissertation on Hebrews, and now he's written uh, multiple commentaries on Hebrews, and he said the question he gets asked most by people who find that out is, so who do you think wrote it? Uh, because nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. And But, that oh, just because we don't know doesn't keep the scholars from arguing about it. They just argue and argue and argue about just about anything. And over the years, a number of uh, ideas have been posited, a number of guesses as to who wrote it. Uh, one of the first ideas was that Paul wrote Hebrews. In fact, the, remember, okay, I was a history teacher. Sorry, just going to have to live with it. Okay, so you remember the Roman Empire split in two and you had the Eastern Empire and the Western Empire? The church in the East, which would now be the Orthodox churches, what we would call the Orthodox churches, <laughs> Angela's going, yeah, yeah, trust me, I know this. Angela's Greek, she gets this. They actually thought Paul wrote it. But in the West... They did not. It was written to Rome. Wouldn't you think that the church in Rome would have thought, would have, you know, if if they thought Paul wrote it, that's who they would uh, agree wrote it, but they didn't. They didn't think Paul wrote it. Um, And it doesn't, I didn't believe this the first time I read Hebrews or before the first time I read Hebrews. Everybody said it doesn't read like one of Paul's letters. I'm like, oh, come on, how can something read or not? No, it doesn't read like one of Paul's letters. More than just the introduction, it just doesn't read like one of Paul's letters. Um, it reads like Paul went to seminary and then wrote it or something like that, but it's, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't read like one of Paul's letters. Um, and very few scholars today believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. And if he would have written it, I, I, mean, I, I really do think he would have put Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he did with all his, his others. But they do believe, most scholars do believe that it was written by somebody who either knew Paul or had been influenced by Paul because there are some threads of what they would call Pauline theology throughout Hebrews. Some people then, because of that, have said that maybe Luke wrote it. Luke traveled with Paul, Um, Luke was highly educated, which uh, this author obviously was, but he was highly educated, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to diss anyone, Mary Jo, highly educated as a physician. Physicians are highly educated, but not necessarily in theology. And this guy was highly educated in theology. Um, And so, you know, it's possible it was Luke, but that doesn't fit it just right. Some people have said Barnabas wrote it, who also was a travel companion of Paul. But Barnabas likely also didn't have the education uh, to do this. Probably the name that comes up most often and the the person that actually Martin Luther thought wrote Hebrews is Apollos. And you'll find Apollos, and I had you read a little bit about that in the introduction, in Acts. And he does fit all of the criteria well. We know from Acts that he was a brilliant preacher. Um, We know from Acts that um, he was educated and that he was from Alexandria. All of things that were true of the author. Did I tell you those things? Oh, I'm so sorry. Did I tell you those things? No, I didn't tell you those things. That was bad. I'm starting out bad. This is going to be an interesting semester. Go back up to what we know. And again, this is from internal evidence. This is from Hebrews itself. We know this about the author. Not necessarily about Apollos, but all of this is true of Apollos. Um, We we don't know who wrote it. The letter doesn't tell us. But we do know it was written by a, a brilliant, dynamic preacher. Or at least someone who knew how to write a brilliant sermon. Because this is a brilliant sermon. Uh, secondly, we know that it was written by a person with an encyclopedic knowledge of the Old Testament. He, he throws out Old Testament passages like candy. And he didn't have, he didn't have chapter and verse. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't go look it up in a concordance. He had it memorized. He probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. And he had it right on the tip of his pen or his tongue. When he needed it in fact george guthrie says that hebrews reveals a mind saturated in the word of god oh that my mind would be that saturated in god's word we know that the author of hebrews was highly educated especially in rhetoric which is speeches and the make and writing speeches highly educated in rhetoric hebrews has this rich complicated vocabulary and ingenious use of different literary devices. And I'll, I'll point some of them out to you. Not all, not even many of them. But he'll take something and he'll begin here and he'll weave it together and then he'll tie it up and it'll be right back where he started. And it's just all, it's like this perfectly wrapped package like my mother used to wrap, just like she had worked for Borsheim's. It's amazing as you go through Hebrews when you see him weave those things in. So he was highly educated, and based on the style of his writing and the theology that he uses, some theologians believe that he was either educated in Alexandria or taught by someone who was, because Alexandria was kind of the cultural center of learning of that day. And Apollos was from Alexandria and was educated there. We also know that uh, the writer of Hebrews was a committed and concerned pastor writing to people that he dearly loved. So all of those things are true of Apollos, but we really can't say, oh, that means Apollos wrote it, because they were true of other people too. And it's entirely possible that um, Hebrews was written by somebody whose name has been lost in the years, and that until we get to heaven, we won't know. I can't Actually, that's made me want to go to heaven. It's like, I want to know! I want to know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, in fact, an early church father named Origen said, who wrote the epistle? Only God knows the truth. Uh, so we really don't know who, who wrote it. But I don't think we need to know the author's name in order to be encouraged and changed by our interaction with this sermon letter. Okay, so uh, moving on to the structure of Hebrews. There are two types of literature within uh, the letter to the Hebrews, and they are... Exposition and exhortation. When Mandy and I were trying to decide what to name this study, I called this the "Let's really scare them off" title. Exposition. and How many would have you, you would have signed up for a title entitled or study entitled "Exposition and Exhortation"? <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, okay, Wilma would because she loves me. That's why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but that's what Hebrews is. Hebrews is exposition and exhortation. Don't let the terms scare you because they're wonderful. Um, exposition is expounding on or explaining spiritual truth. Exposition is the study of theology. It's, it's the study of scripture. It's understanding. It's really what we do in this study, understanding what it says, what it means, and how can I apply it to my life? That's exposition. And so Hebrews is the exposition Of old testament scripture and then secondly it's exhortation which as i told you is encouragement but it's encouragement intended to motivate intended to motivate a positive response in those being exhorted as i thought about this i thought okay hebrews to kind of give you a current picture hebrews is much more Biggest Loser than it is cheerleading, okay? I've never watched Biggest Loser, but I've seen the commercials, and I've seen them get in people's faces, and and they're not just going, you know, you can do it. Yes, you can. You can do it. You're the man. No. They're telling them why they should do what they should do. They're saying, look, you can do this, and here's why you can do this, and here's why you should do this, or what not to wear. I just watched that for the first time in forever the other day. You know, and they don't just say, you can look better. No, they tell them what I have made my sister's promise not to send my pictures in to that show because <laughs> I don't want to know what I should wear, but I like watching the show. It's weird. But we don't have cable, so that's good because so then I can't watch it. But So they exhort. It's, it's intended. It's encouragement that's intended you, to get you to do something, to change something. And that's why this author of Hebrews has written Uh, Hebrews in order to exhort them to persevere in their faith to not uh, turn and run from their faith Um, and so he uses scripture to let them know look look at this look at this passage from the old testament this is why Jesus is better than everything else this is why we believe this is what we believe this is why we believe and this is why you need to persevere in your faith in Christ. Uh, and so the, the author is going to use a multitude of different excerta- exhortations to motivate his listeners to persevere, to keep on keeping on, as my brother-in-law would say. So Hebrews is not so much like, a, like an outline. Where he says here 's reason one why jesus is better here 's reason two why jesus is better here 's reason three why Jesus is better bullet point one two and three it 's not like that he 's going to give those reasons but it 's much more like a tapestry where he weaves in exposition on scripture, explanation of scripture with different exhortations in and in and out and with examples of faith and with some really strong warnings against Uh, walking away from the faith, and he weaves them all together in a tapestry, really like a sermon. Think about a sermon where you read the scripture and then the pastor begins talking about part of it and he might tell a story related to it and then he might give you a point of application on it and then you go back to the scripture again and you read part of it and and it's a a weaving of all of those things together. That's Hebrews. Um, And I think that's really helpful for us as we get ready to study it. So why is Hebrews important? What makes Hebrews important to our lives? Because this is a really ancient text with weird things like exposition and exhortation in it. And you're kidding me? You did not tell me there's a bunch of Old Testament scripture in this thing, Amy, and, and all of that. And so what makes it important for our lives here in uh, 2000, I almost said 2012, 2013? I think that this is a really relevant uh, book, a really relevant sermon for our day, uh, And I believe we'll find this out as we walk through it, that it is not dusty at all. And in, in fact, I find it to be a very fresh word of encouragement um, to my life and to our lives. I hope you'll find that too. And I also believe that Hebrews is a very powerful apologetic, which means argument um, for understanding the deep truths of our faith. Um, our faith is rich and reliable. It's not not a weak thing. It's not a a shallow thing. It is rich and it's reliable. But if we only have a surface understanding of that faith, then we won't have deep enough roots to withstand the storms of life. I love the, the picture that Psalm 1 gives us. It talks about blessed is the man whose delight is in the word of God who meditates on God's word day and night. And then it describes that man as a tree planted by deep waters, planted by living waters. And You know how you, when you drive across Nebraska, you don't see a lot of trees, do you? How do you know where the plat is? That's where the trees are. That's where the trees are. And that's the picture that some of you are like, I don't even want to think about driving across Nebraska. But uh, the picture that Psalm 1 gives us is of this big, strong tree with strong leaves and deep roots. And that's the understanding we need to have of Scripture. And the writer of Hebrews means to shore up those spiritual roots so that they might be sunk so deeply into God's Word and nothing can blow that tree over. To change the spiritual analogy, our author himself calls the gospel an anchor for our souls that will keep us from drifting away, will keep us from being blown around. I was thinking about this this week and, and why so many, and I know you guys no, and you may have been uh, a kid raised in a Christian home who either in high school or college begins to drift away or walk away from our faith. And there's probably a lot of reasons, and it's different with every, um, with every kid. But I think one of the big reasons that this happens is that I believe many of them don't have that depth of understanding of their faith. They have what I would call a Sunday school understanding of their faith. Um, they, They don't really understand what they believe and why it's important and why Jesus is better than anything else that's out there. Oftentimes they try all those other things and they find out, oh, guess what? Jesus is better. But they still need, we all still need, to have a deep understanding of our faith. I saw a lot of friends in college who had a Sunday school understanding of their faith fall away from their faith when it was challenged oftentimes by a professor, oftentimes at my school, which was a college of the faith, by a professor of religion. My college professor, a Christian professor, told us that Jesus Christ didn't actually physically rise from the dead. That, that scared off a lot of my friends. Amy, not so much. Amy went, excuse me? I have a problem with that, sir. <laughs> he also told us that he had no problem with Joseph being the uh, father of Jesus. I said, got a problem. That's a problem for me. But a lot of my friends were like going, oh, really? Oh, okay. Unless we have a deep understanding of our faith, we will hear things that sound good and think they're true. And Hebrews helps us have that. But it isn't just kids that fall away from faith. I want you to consider the case of a man named Rob Bell. And you may have heard his name because he's a very famous author and pastor. He was the pastor. He is no longer... Uh, his, his pulpit was taken away from him, of Mars Hill Church in Michigan, 11,000-ish members of this church. Big, big church. In 2011, he wrote a book entitled Love Wins. And the basis of this book is that everybody's saved in the end. Everybody goes to heaven, except for like Hitler and Stalin and those kinds of people, but everybody else gets to go to heaven. Many, many people were influenced by this because it sounds really good. I like that. The problem is it is thoroughly unscriptural, and he should have known that. My point isn't to debate heaven and hell and who goes and who doesn't uh, because that's not the point. My point is this. Doctrine matters. Theology matters. What we believe matters. And in order to have right beliefs, we must have a thorough understanding of God's word because that's where we learn the truth. Hebrews is deep and challenging, but the thing is, it is also foundational for our Christian lives. It is foundational for our faith. And we need to understand that kind of uh, doctrinal truth in order to have deeply rooted, persevering lives in Christ. I am convinced that the study of Hebrews will grow us up as believers better than anything else you could ever study. Any book of the Bible, any book written by someone else, it is that powerful. So here's our challenge. To to commit to diving into this book, to wrestling with it, this rich and wonderful letter to the Hebrews and to learn from it in order that it might impact our lives and change us. And, and in order that we too might persevere in our faith and we might live lives that bring glory to God. Are you with me? Okay, I'm going to ask you that again about halfway through when you're going. It's worth it. Trust me. It's worth it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this letter to the Hebrews. Man. What a rich book. What a deep, uh, complicated weaving of truth. Father, I am so excited and grateful to have this opportunity to teach it. Uh, I pray that you would help me to divide it rightly, and I pray that we would all have open ears and hearts and minds so that it might touch us deeply. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's only 11.14, and this probably won't happen again. I just want to let you know that. Have a good week. I'll see you next week.